Wednesday Live. I'm Graham Lynch. Welcome to the show. Today, our feature interview is with David Thorne, who's the ranking regional executive at OneWeb, the very interesting satellite company that many consider one of the more likely to dominate the emerging world of pervasive high-speed satellite communications. Also in the show, we're going to catch up with Rowan Pearce, who will bring us up to speed with what happened at Senate Estimates this week when NBN appeared. But first, the Optus results. Optus works to a Singaporean financial year, and as a result, they are the first Aussie telco to report a full year under COVID conditions. And it was very much a tale of two halves. A pretty bad first half and a considerably improved second one. We caught up with CEO Kelly Bayer-Rosmarin this week and asked her for her take on the results. Well, um, obviously, Graham, as we've spoken about before, it's been a challenging year for everybody. Um, and for Optus, of course, we've seen the declines. They largely come from two categories. Uh, one is the structural implications of NBN, so both a fall in the migration payments of last year's peak and then the margin squeeze that we experience as a result of uh, reselling NBN. And the other category is the implications of, of COVID-19, which for us are largely felt through the absence of roaming revenue and um, the absence of travellers and foreign students, which is a market that we're typically very successful in particularly without prepaid SIMs. So those are really the two big um, factors that have led to the year-on-year declines. Um, however, you can see in the results that we've made a lot of progress on executing our strategy, and the second half of the year has seen a lift in all our indicators. Operating revenues up uh, second half on first half 5%, EBITDA 5%, and EBIT 73%. And that is driven through very successful equipment sales in the iPhone and Samsung 5G launches in the second half. It's also through uh, improved mobile net connections, very solid ARPU growth, and disciplined cost management. And even though it's been a difficult year for us, we kept investing in our network and our um, digital technology. Uh, we've been rolling out Australia's fastest 5G we have the leading app with, with unique features and we launched our Optus Living Network, which is, is really uh, unique and interesting and signals a shift for the whole industry. All our leading indicators are good. Our customer SAT is up. Our customer complaints are down. Our employee engagement is up. And so I think we, we uh, are demonstrating quite a bit of momentum over here. Yes, absolutely. It definitely seems that the um, declines that COVID and, and NBN brought have, have been mitigated in the second half. And I, I was I was quite interested to see that um, mobile ARPUs were up. And you, know, you, you just mentioned there that you, you sold a lot more premium handsets than before with uh, iPhone and, and 5G handsets. So what do you attribute the increase in ARPUs? Okay, so firstly, on your first one, it's not that the COVID impacts have abated in the second half. They haven't. There's still no roaming. There's still no travellers. There's still so those impacts are still there. The only impacts that have abated are some of the extra costs we had to incur when we had global shutdowns across our call centres, increased cleaning regimes, etc. So some of the cost side is slightly better, but those big revenue uh, implications are still very there in our PNL. So um, does that make sense? Yes, Graham? absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, on the ARPU front, uh, really, what this is is a very disciplined pricing strategy from Optus. 
Um, we have focused on uh, keeping our choice plans at that right spot of providing great value to customers, still at a discount to Telstra, but providing way more value overall. And so we've seen increased penetration of those choice plans. We've seen um, the successful introduction of the family plans that encourage more in the family to access those benefits. And we've just been disciplined about not succumbing to crazy discounting. Um, and um, I can't say the same for, for everybody else in the market, but we certainly have been exhibiting a lot of pricing discipline. Now, now the other um, aspect of the results that jumped out at me was a very strong performance in the enterprise segment. Um, often Singtel doesn't break out those results for Australia in the way it presents financials, but it did do so um, this time. And particularly in the IT area, um, very, very strong results. So, so do you, to what do you attribute that? Yeah, so I think it's, it's good growth, and that's largely through the pickups during COVID when companies needed to get more solutions in place to allow their staff to work from home. And we saw a pickup in voice, which had been in, in quite systemic decline up until the COVID uh, lockdown. Um, but during the lockdown period, more people called call centres, called for business, the voice actually saw a bit of a resurgence. So those are really the two um, big implications. And so ICT revenue, for example, is selling people Microsoft Teams, Zoom, those sort of services, along with their connectivity. So all that was uh, a positive for our enterprise business. Now, another strong growth area was the Optus Sports uh, TV service, um, up 6%. For the year, even though COVID uh, impacted on a lot of the live programming, a lot of the matches didn't right. go ahead. So that, I thought that was quite impressive. Um, yeah. Are you comfortable with the trajectory of that business? And, and particularly given we've got Paramount and Channel 10 now buying rights in that particular segment, you know, maybe that might add a bit of cost pressure in the future. I don't know. Yeah, I think so. It's, it's very well loved. Um, it's a very well loved service from our customers. Uh, we have seen good growth, and even though we didn't have sports at a certain point in the lockdown, the team was very creative and introduced Optus Sport Fitness, uh, which provided fitness classes to our customers. We've, we've seen more than 620,000 workouts on the platform, and about 10% of our customer base is really engaged with Optus Fitness. So. Uh, really pleasing to see that sort of pivot and widening of the proposition to appeal to everybody in the household. Um, and I think that's part of why, even in this difficult year, we've been able to grow. Okay. Now, finally, uh, last month you introduced the concept of the Optus Living Network, which which is largely, I, I guess, in shorthand, an app-driven approach to allowing customers to control their services. Um, in, the, in the ensuing month or so, what, what has been the feedback from the market on, on that and, and how is that concept travelling for you? Yeah, good. I, I mean, so from a customer perspective, customers are really engaging um, with um, uh, our living network features. Um, we've had more than 400,000 interactions with some of those features, things like the unlimited day-to-day -day or Optus pause, and we've seen our customers make now a cumulative 3 million donations using the Donate Your Data platform. So lots of strong engagement with our customers. Um, I think that the concept will still build. I'm not sure everyone understands how fundamentally transformative this is for the industry. 
because you're right, it's using the app to control the network. But we've done integration back into the core network through the full stack. And there's nobody out there who's letting customers turn the network on and off um, uh, you, you know, for each individual customer at their own timing uh, right back into the network layer. Um, there's no one doing things like the enhanced voice of call translate that we're doing. So lots of, of really interesting things. And I think as we roll out more and more of the features on our roadmap, it will become more obvious to people just how fundamentally transformative this can be for the industry. And most importantly, customers' relationship with their telco provider. Okay, terrific. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to talk with us and talk us through the results. It's very much appreciated. Now, we're joined by Simon Ducks, the Chief Editor of Comms Day. Welcome, Simon. Hello there, Graham. Now, Optus preceded its results this week with a very interesting breakthrough on its 5G standalone network. Please tell us all about it, Simon. Yeah, that's right. They have a uh, successful voice trial, uh, which they've uh, carried out on their commercial 5G standalone network. Now, uh, the thing about standalone uh, versus non-standalone, as you know, uh, the non-standalone is where calls will typically originate on 4G existing network and then move into the 5G network. Uh, Standalone is full 5G from the radio access right through to the core. So this is where the technology is heading. Uh, But obviously, as the telcos roll this technology out, they're going to have to do it uh, stage by stage. You're not going to have a ubiquitous 5G standalone network. So it's important that when you pick up the phone uh, and you're making a 5G call, that that call gets connected. And that's what this test was all about. They're working with uh, Ericsson and Oppo uh, for the handset and uh, Ericsson uh, on the uh, RAN and uh, 5G technology. And uh, essentially, they successfully demonstrated what they call their first evolved packet system fallback call. And this is an intermediate step towards native support of voice on a 5G system. Uh, It technically allows the call to drop back to the 4G voice over LTE uh, platform that the carrier is running. And uh, when 5G standalone becomes mature, it it will continue to coexist. And uh, I spoke to Lambo Kanagaratnam at Optus, and he said to me that you're going to see these coexist for quite a while uh, within the network, essentially, which makes a lot of sense. But uh, this is part of their future proofing. Uh, and uh, he told me that they'll be able to upgrade their 5G sites to support standalone with a software upgrade. And we know Telstra has already done that um, uh, with er Ericsson as well. So uh, one of the things he said is that uh, we're going to uh, have to wait till the end of the year before we start seeing standalone-capable device chipsets, and, of course, they'll be driving uh, the devices, and that's why... You know, you're not going to see this just coming out very quickly. Uh, we really need to get the, the devices to be able to support this. Uh, it was interesting also this week because uh, uh, Optus parent Singtel launched their own commercial 5G standalone services uh, for customers this week. And uh, the only device they're operating uh, at the moment is a Samsung Galaxy S21 Ultra 5G smartphone. And uh, they're running some uh, specific Singtel uh, beta software, which uh, I asked uh, Lambo whether Optus was also looking at the Samsung route. And uh, he was a a little bit coy, uh, suggesting that they do cooperate uh, very well with Singtel. Uh, But uh, at this stage, he wasn't going to be making any further uh, announcements on particular vendor partners. Okay, thanks for that, Simon. Thanks again, Graham. 
Now, um, while we're on the subject of Singtel, just a quick little footnote. It seems that Singtel is quite taken with the uh, high investor interest in its mobile tower subsidiary in Australia through Optus. They're currently flogging off 70% of it. And Singtel indicated this week that it might well put up um, a lot of its other infrastructure assets for sale, its satellites, data centres, submarine cable holdings, and presumably its towers in other Asian territories. So... uh, but big fire sale on at Singtel. Snap it up while you can. This is Comms Day Live. Moving on. Um, we're going to talk about the international satellite space. Now, it, it's, a, it's an interesting one. There's a lot of companies that I would call PowerPoint companies um, in this segment. Uh, they talk the big talk, but they're not actually real so we'll be talking today to a company that is the exception to this. They are real. They've been around for nigh on a decade, um, and they're doing some pretty interesting things, uh, not just in Australia, but regionally. I'm joined by the APAC Regional Director of OneWeb, David Thorne. Welcome, David. Thank you, Graham. Nice to be with you. Now, um, um, as I said, you've been, OneWeb has been around for nigh on a decade. So let's start from the start. Give me the story about OneWeb. Yeah, sure. I'll, uh, I'll I'll give you a little, little bit of uh, history. Um, as you're probably aware, the um, talk of uh, of the use of Leo as a commercial offering has been uh, has been around for quite some time. And yeah, the uh, the pre runner to OneWeb unfortunately went into Chapter Eleven, but emerged very quickly within a three or four month period with some new owners in Her Majesty's government and um, and uh, uh, Barty. Um, out of uh, out of India, um, you know. Since then, we've also had investment from SoftBank and, and Hughes Network Services, and most recently, you probably saw the investment from Utelsat. So, um, yeah, you know, lots of lots of planning. Um, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, the the business model before um, didn't quite uh, hit, hit the uh, hit the test from a finance perspective, and uh, went into Chapter Eleven, but I said emerged. Uh, bigger and stronger and, and now operational. Okay, so you recapitalized, and it is an impressive shareholder register, as you just outlined there. What, what's the, the pitch now? What's the major focus from here on end? So what we want to do, I'm not sure if you've seen the, the strap line, uh, essentially from our CEO, Neil Masterson, is, is to you know, connect the unconnected. Um, we have uh, you know, in an age now where... Uh, Access to the internet, access to high-speed data services is critical, not just for uh, home users, but also for, for, for businesses. So the reliance upon good, um, you know, high-quality you know, communications is, is increasing. So we, we want to enable areas that, um, specifically geographical areas, you know, large, large land masses that have been typically difficult to serve uh, with high-speed infrastructure like, like fibre and connect those communities, all those businesses that reside in those communities. The way in which we're approaching that is um, uh, to enable you know, our partners. So we're looking for, for partners. We're not looking to sell direct to end customers. We're looking to, to um, increase the portfolio reach and breadth and depth of you know, existing service providers in that area. So that's our, uh, that's our go-to-market strategy. So how are you going to position yourself in Australia? Um, obviously, the, from a, a, a mass market point of view, the MBN is a major provider here. Optus 
uh, plays in its space as well. And of course, we have um, Elon Musk's SpaceX um, is now, I guess, in beta mode. So where, where will OneWeb fit in to that ecosystem? Yeah, look, really good question. And um, it's very clear from, from our perspective, as I said, that, uh, that the likes of, of Spacelink are looking to have direct relationships with, with customers, with residential um, you know, customers, and will we'll provide a service to, to those customers. However, we don't believe that um, you know, a, an offering that doesn't have true class of service and service level agreements is where we want to play. We want to offer our services, as I say, as an extension to our service providers' uh, portfolio. So we will be offering uh, SLAs, uh, and we will be offering you know, committed information rates and maximum information rates as, as part of the portfolio offering. Okay. Um, now, your position title doesn't just cover Australia, it's APAC. So tell me a bit about some of the other markets uh, that, that you're looking at and, and perhaps where the, the propositions might be a little different in some of those markets. Yeah, sure. Look, the um, New Zealand and, and the Pacific Islands are uh, a really interesting uh, market for us. Again, not traditionally been uh, well serviced with terrestrial infrastructure. The advent of 5G, the capability to start to offer some of those smaller island communities you know, access to high-speed uh, internet via uh, LEO becomes a, a real commercial reality. So... Um, we're looking at market development completely across uh, the region. You know, as we put the uh, satellites up and the constellation builds, and we're going to get more and more coverage. But uh, the initial focus is, say, through through service providers here in Australia, and then looking at the market opportunities in New Zealand, the Pacific Islands, and and into the broader APAC region, as and when regulation and the constellation allows. Yeah, now that's the key thing, isn't it? You're still building out the constellation. So can you give us, a, um, I guess, a more precise idea of where you're at now and uh, what, what the, the, I guess, the initial plans are for fiddling out that constellation over ensuing weeks and months? Yeah, sure. Look, quite quite uh, interesting. Again, a differentiator. Yeah, we, we've got our own satellite factory in, uh, in Florida. So we're, we're building uh, satellites. Um, we put them on a... On a plane and, and currently uh, transport them over to Kazakhstan, where we're using the Soyuz spacecraft for uh, uh, deployment. 36 satellites uh, at a time in the payload, uh, and we're generally launching every four weeks. So uh, we're currently just over 200 uh, satellites in the constellation uh, with that building. So in Australia, we'll have the southern half of Australia ready by Q2 next calendar year, and then that will gra- gradually build through Q3 and Q4 uh, next year for full service operation. And, and uh, that's an interesting point you raised there, David, regarding um, the, you know, the fact that you can get 36 satellites up at a time. And I guess for people who haven't been paying attention to the satellite industry, that's actually been the big breakthrough, um, that you can get a lot of birds up in one hit now. That used to be the case. And it does allow these, these constellations to um, do a lot more and, and to do it a lot more quickly than might have been the case in previous years. Well, look, thank you very much for joining us today, David, and telling us the story, and, and best of luck in the future. Thanks very much, Graham. Thanks for your time. Well, it's that time of the show where we're joined by Rowan Pierce, the executive editor of Comms Day. Welcome, Rowan. Hey, Graham. Now, we're going to be talking about NBN. NBN Co. has had some massive issues the past few weeks with a move to a new work scheduling platform and app. 
it appears the system hasn't been working too well in terms of quickly processing orders, effectively reducing the number of appointments that each tech can satisfy in a day. And it also seems to have been associated with a change in payment arrangements that have cut the take-home pay of subbies. The union isn't happy, RSPs aren't happy, and this week, NBN front and centre estimates to give an account of itself. What do they have to say, Rowan? Yeah, so it's quite a lengthy appearance at, um, at estimates by NBN. In fact, it must have um, it blew up by quite a few hours, um, which is which is always a good time. Um, so yeah, one of the issues, as you mentioned, was the um, particular issue facing subbies. I, the Labor senators focused a lot on that. It's been subject of a high-profile campaign by the um, CEPU, um, and really, it's associated with the shift to the kind of the unify system for delivery partners. So, yeah, so as you mentioned, the techs have said that this has effectively cut their pay in some cases. So one of the interesting things that was mentioned by um, Catherine Dyer, the um, COO at NBN, was that NBN had actually brought in independent experts, and they're basically going to try and um, map the old system of payments that techs were receiving to the kind of new system, and then try to work out from that exactly why some of these techs have reported experiencing such a dramatic drop in pay. Um, and also as part of that, they introduced, um, Catherine said, they, uh, what she describes as an interim fee of $75 a job for subbies uh, that are really struggling with the transition to Unify while they get to the bottom of what's going on. So this has all been happening, as you mentioned, while like NVN's had this like blowout and employment timeframes, particularly for new connections, and some also technical issues with the job scheduling app um, it's been using called uh, SMAX Go. So, and, and actually, as you mentioned in... Um, in our piece uh, this morning, was that NBN has actually also responded by confirming it a handover um, rebates to RSPs when it misses uh, timeframes, despite not being technically obliged to um, under WBA4. And also covering, um, covering TIO fees that um, come about for the RSPs as a result of um, timeframes being missed and, missed and that kind of thing, which is really unprecedented as far as I can remember. So really, NBN has been kind of throwing a bit of cash around to try and deal with this situation. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see um, what the ultimate financial liability is here for MBN because you've got all these payments. I, I think $7.50 a day for a delayed new connection, and I think it's $15 a day for a delayed um, repair of a fault. But there are also some higher payments um, for different types of services. And then, of course, there's all the forgone revenue from the delays as well. You know, If you don't make a connection, you're not earning bucks on that connection. Yeah, I, I have to say, so it'd be interested, obviously, like I'm, I'm sure they've done some sums to work out kind of roughly how much they're going to be liable for. I have to say, I've got a new NBN connection that was like connected in three days and after writing about this issue so much, I was pleasantly surprised. Well, that's, a, that's um, quite good luck on your behalf. I hope, I hope you didn't pull any strings to get that. <laughs> Definitely not. Okay. Thank you very much for joining us today, Rowan. Cheers. That's it for Comms Day Live. We'll see you next week.